there has to be some degree of self-regulation in navigating the conflict. So after we've got this triggering event, then we've got like the initiation phase. Like it's the phase when the conflict has begun. Right. <laughs> like this is what you said, like the heated arguments, verbal disagreements. These are warning alarms that like, all right, game on. Yeah. What this tells me though is that there's, you know, if if you're at the initiation phase and, and you sort of see this, this is the visible part of the iceberg, so to speak. Understand that there's more beneath this part of the the phase and the fact that you've had some other things happening. So like if this is around wisdom and awareness, like if this is what this is about, then understand that this initiation phase is sort of in the middle of conflict. Mm -hmm. Like if, if conflict is sandwiched by the prelude, the triggering and the initiation is the conflict. And then you got the differentiation and the resolution. Like this is the meat in the sandwich. <laughs> yep. You've already got the bread and the lettuce potentially by, beforehand beneath you some ketchup, mustard, et cetera, and some more bread. You're in the middle. <laughs> right? Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. So, Adam, you ever encountered any conflict of sorts? Well, I think if you're living, you've encountered conflict. That's sort of part of life is, is conflict. But yes, definitely. Right? It's, I think, a part of everyday life to some degree or another, right? Well, I think if you're dealing with people... You know, when it comes down to what's the thing, we're all dealing with people, right? I mean, it's it's kind of weird to say that, but to me, it's a misalignment of expectation and clarity. Like if, if there's clarity and there's expectation, you're not avoiding conflict. You're sort of rounding the edges there. It, conflict is less sharp. If you know, you know, what I expect of our working relationship and what we do and that's super clear, it's pretty difficult for us to have that misalignment and those jagged edges that come with conflict. But yeah, conflict, it happens. Let's just say there should be a shirt. <laughs> conflict, it happens. <laughs> I love that. I found this definition out of a management study guide, and it said conflict is defined as a clash between individuals arising out of a difference in thought process, attitudes, understanding, interests, requirements, and even sometimes perceptions. Yeah. It sort of wraps it all up, right? Yeah. I wrote a version of that, my own version. I, you know what? The Adam version. I've always been, yeah, I've always been kind of good at defining things without a definition, like without a dictionary nearby. And people always compliment me about it. But I'm not sure if this suits or not. But I just said, you know, it's a misalignment. So conflict happens when there's a misalignment of expectation with another person or persons. And it's about perspective and 
you know, your response, etc. But it's this the tension that remains is, I think, what most people feel as the conflict, right? The tension that sort of happens between like people when they're that misalignment or that difference is occurring, that that tension is the conflict. And then the, the conversations that sort of occur after that are a result of the attempts at this resolution. And that's it's really a tough thing. It really is. You know, conflict happens and navigating it is a unique multifaceted approach. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. And so interestingly enough, the other thing that we sort of, the thread that gets pulled in is relationship, right? (laughs) Because I mean, while we can have conflict, internal conflict, much of the conflict that, you know, is also problematic, be it in the workplace, at home, is in relationships because who's the same person? And if I see a conflict as this clash of interest, so to speak, or values or perceptions, I would say, who's got all of the same ones? Nobody. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. Nobody has the same of anything. We're all, you know, sort of unique in that way. And we have, and that's the cool thing too, is we have different perspectives. And, you know, when we say dealing with conflict, it's it's more like arming people out there with certain tools the first tool is it's going to happen yeah so not so much how to avoid it but more so how to deal with it right how to navigate it in healthy ways because in the end you know we thrive as humans when we're connected and so conflict is a disconnection process like if you examine the next conflict you're in you think am i more or less connected to these people or these individuals then that's what's going to happen. Like it's about connection. And so we have to navigate ways to be connected. In having this discussion, I think it's really important that we sort of note that, you know, we both come from different perspectives, ironically, that, you know, we're neither one of us is expert on the totality of conflict that really sort of I have more expertise per se or you know, information as relative to what we call intrapersonal conflict. So the conflict that exists within ourselves or the individual, right? I mean, at the heart of the process of psychotherapy is helping people sort of get back to a place of resonance or sort of um, working with themselves as opposed to really being stuck in two different places, two different desires or different feelings without being able to navigate that well. And Adam, you come from the school of hard knocks, right? Yes. Bloody knuckles, been there, done that, lots of conflict. And, you know, so much so that people who know me and love me say that I enjoy confrontation. And I think it's because I've dealt with a lot. I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means, but more so just a, a tried and true student at the school of hard knocks of conflict. I don't really enjoy it, but I don't like to run away from it is probably my perspective. And that's why I enjoy, you know, confrontation, uh, negotiation. And it's not so much that I'm even really that good at it. I'm just kind of comfortable because, hey, like we said earlier, you're going to have conflict in your life. And so you either get comfortable or you remain uncomfortable. And I'm more in the lane of like I'd rather be at least comfortable with dealing with and resolving it. Because you're going to deal with it in your life. Yep. And I'm not an expert at all the terms, 
terminology, resolution processes, names for those things. But if you ask me, I will have an opinion on how to resolve it. So that's where I say my knuckles are bloody and man, do they hurt. You know, I think that, you know, it's really interesting, especially with people who probably manage teams, that this is more at the forefront of their repertoire of skills. And what I love in having these conversations is recognizing how many things are actually more a skill as opposed to hardwired into us when we're born. So Mm -hmm. even if you don't have them, it doesn't mean you can't learn them, right? Yeah, I think for me, very personally, I think I'm hardwired, but I think there's also the skill level. And I can totally agree there's skill that you can acquire there. I've just never been comfortable with unresolved situations. So not even just conflicts, but like situations. Maybe that is conflict and we'll define that. Maybe it's better defined, but I don't like unresolved matters. I don't like to have enemies. I don't like to have, you know, unresolved disagreements. I like some level of expectation of relationship in the future. And to me, that never sat well. So maybe that's a a hardwired thing, but I totally agree that, you know, resolving and dealing with conflict is definitely a learned skill. You have to practice it. Like, like most things, Mira, as you know, we have to practice these things. And I think Mm -hmm. if there's one thing to give the audience, it's that you're going to deal with conflict. If you're breathing right now, you know, you've dealt with conflict. I'm sure you have. Mm -hmm. And just to get comfortable with finding ways to navigate it better. Like that's that's the one kind of core takeaway I think this show should represent is that you're going to deal with conflict. How do you get around it? How do you how do you deal with it in ways that respect yourself and those around you? Because it's all about connection at the end. Yeah, and by connection you're talking relationship, right? Right. Right. We're connected, we're a social species, etc. We're going to be connected, so how can we maintain that connection? Well, so I'm glad that you said sort of highlighted that you're you're sort of more prone to try to hash things out because of how it feels to leave things unsettled because we don't do all have sort of personal proclivities as based on sort of genetic predispositions or personality traits and whatnot that you know can say hey I'm more comfortable in dealing with conflict in x way as opposed to way y right and that's valuable but going you know One of the things that I thought was really helpful when I coached gymnastics was recognizing the way in which vulnerability and sort of perception of threat was amplified when my gymnast learned how to do a skill only one way, especially on the balance beam, right? Because if they go, this is the only option that I've got, if it goes awry, oh no, I'm going to panic because I couldn't adapt. And so in talking about conflict, there's different approaches that we can utilize that actually help in, you know, more so in one setting as opposed to another. But I want to go back to what you said about sort of, you know, the lack of clarity and expectation is one of the key things that can be a contributing factor to starting conflict, right? Because if there's just sort of ambiguity around you know, what the relationship is. Could you imagine if I was like, hey, Adam, do you want to take a trip to Fiji? That's it. Maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe someday. For what reason? How we, yeah. Who's so going? Un- exactly. <laughs> who's paying for it? How long am I going to go? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Who's paying for it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's 
why it's so significant. When you don't have clarity, it's like, um, I'm not sure that I can answer that. And now I feel the pressure to respond to you, but I don't know that I can give you an answer because you haven't given me adequate data in order to do so. Right. That's that's so true. The the one conflict that I find myself, and I learned this lesson from a good friend named Matt a while back, and he's the person who taught me this lesson, and I will never forget it. And uh, it, it was essentially that the main conflict I have ever dealt with has been somebody didn't do something in alignment with what my expectation is or was of what they should do. Right. In some cases, it was where I was sort of over them as a manager or in leadership of some sort and or maybe even just lateral peers. I'm not sure that even really matters, but more so that I had an expectation that wasn't clear to them and they were at fault maybe to their knowledge, not to their knowledge. And I couldn't hold that against them because unless I made my expectations clear of what we were supposed to do, only then could I have this sort of, you know, strife or, you know, this conflict can occur because I've given them clarity. They understand right. what the what the what the mission is and they've underperformed to the mission or whatever it might be. So in a real vague way, that's sort of the the main conflict lesson that I've dealt with is is where there is an expected performance or a thing to do and the clarity was not there on what the expectation was. And the lesson there to learn is you can't be angry with somebody for doing something wrong or incorrectly in quotes based upon your own opinion of what's correct because that's what conflict is. Like you're wrong, I'm right, etc. Like you're incorrect, but if you didn't make it clear that the expectation wasn't clear, then you're wrong. Right. Not them. So you're right whenever the expectation <laughs> is clear, not the other way around. Right. You know, I love having these dialogues because, you know, my mental framework moves the word expectation over into the word boundaries. Because in my field, I'm I'm working with people and going, hey, how can you develop clear boundaries around what you expect both of yourself, what you're going to bring and what you're expecting to receive in return? Because that's where a lot of the conflict comes. And even sort of thinking about things in terms of, you know, dishonesty, like I differentiate between lies of omission versus lies of commission, right? Like commission is sort of like, I totally tell you I was at the store when I was at the gym as opposed to omission. Like, well, I just left out that part that I stopped by my friend's house on the way home. I just told you I was on my way home. And so this lack of clarity is sort of like, I just omitted what my expectation was. I'm holding it. I'm aware of it, but you're not, and now you're liable. <laughs> it's right. like non-disclosure at its finest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's really, I think, where maybe I would say the most common conflict occurs is that misalignment of, of, of that sharing, I suppose, even. Like if the clarity is you telling them your expectation, the lack of clarity is you keeping it. Yeah, well, and so interestingly enough, too, much of external conflict or conflict in relationships comes from internal conflict. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, 
You know, I, I, so I find myself saying this, you know, with my family a number of times of like, Hey, I am not upset with you. You did not do anything wrong. Like mom is stressed because of X, Y, or Z so that they can be like, all right. But it provides further clarity because in their mind, they're going, I can sense, I have the awareness of something's not right or upsetting, but it, isn't something that I'm responsible for. Like mom's acknowledging that she's the one holding it and contributing to the conflict right now. Mm -hmm. And it really helps then diffuse things because I own that and said, yep, totally. I'm the one (laughs) who's harboring this discontentment and upset and you get to feel the brunt of it. You're welcome for being my family. That's right. (laughs) Right. Which does make a question of perception too. So if it if it begins within, sure, right, and so what comes from within comes out, mm-hmm. and that's people's perception of you. What do you think about the perception also being, you know, the perception of you essentially your teammate, your family, sure. right? Your team members sure. are your family, or your coworkers are your team, your family in that regard. So how can the perception of you be? a conflict starter because that's kind of like you know if we think about where does it begin it begins within sure sure in addition to also how people perceive me because people's opinion of me is not always known by me sure and if i know that perception of me in a way that's respectful and loving i might be open one to hear it and two willing to change as a result of it which starts to erode that conflict back down to connection. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's multiple facets to that question and going the perception. And even if I clarify it, they do, one, have to be open. But two, there has to be some degree of understanding of the way in which their perspective is is also biased by themselves, right? Because it's not the eyes that see or the ears that hear, right? It's the brain that makes sense of the processing of light and dark and how your your brain computes auditory signals. So perception right. is very much this sort of puzzle interfacing our environment with our genes, with our past experience that is ever changing. And this is why awareness is so helpful when it comes to navigating conflict. Yeah. Well, on that note of awareness, I, the reason why I asked this question is from a story. It's actually somebody I have as a, a sales coach and just life coach, I suppose, business coach in general. His name is uh, Coach Michael Burt. Awesome dude. But he used to be a girls basketball coach. And when he coached this high school girls team, he had a lot of drama happening. And he essentially you know, struggled to sort of deal with this conflict. And he thought, well, you know, one way to sort of like get back in alignment was to sort of understand, you know, what the team thought of each other. So he handed out an anonymous assessment and said, you know, hey, you know, of of all this, how do you rank your fellow team members, your other your fellow players on attitude, skill, et cetera? And they did that every 90 days, so once a quarter. And that allowed everyone on the team to have uh sort of a an awareness of what others thought of them so that you know, there was that awareness, that change, and it was very eye-opening. And they, you know, went on to win season after season after season. But it's that lesson he learned of, like, 
if I know and if they know how others see them, because how people see you may be somewhat true, but if you don't know it, it's like a mirror, right? It's that feedback loop. We need that. And that helped them. Totally. Adam, you just identified how and why group therapy can be really effective. Okay, great. I didn't know that. <laughs> right? Give me my doctorate, Mario. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> um, the other people in the group, you know, get to tell you about you or sort of provide an example for how you interface with other people. And it's like, oh, oh, you mean that's how I didn't see anything sort of maladaptive or wrong with what I was doing or how I was interacting. But when you do it like that and I watch it as observer, like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. <laughs> and I don't think I want to do that anymore. Well, having been a gymnastics coach, you must also know that athletes like to video themselves doing whatever they do so that they can scrutinize themselves. And that's essentially what that gives you. It gives you a lens. Yep. A lens for which you can be viewed in a way that's loving, respectful, and I would say true and accurate. Mm -hmm. Right? Because perspective, for the sake of perspective, if not loving, not respectful, not true, not accurate, well, that's biased perspective. That's not true perspective. Right? It's skewed. It's distorted. It's, you know, all the things different than true, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So if I can sort of broaden this sort of going, how do we get to conflict? And it's been articulated, there's sort of five phases to conflict. There's what we'd call the prelude to conflict. Then there's a triggering event, an initiation phase, a differentiation phase, and then a resolution, you know, because mm -hmm. what fun is it if we just keep something as sort of one big lump? It's so much easier to navigate if we can section things out so we can better make sense of them to know what to do or how to respond. So this is essentially a map to conflict. Yeah, like what are the steps or stages? Right, point A to point B to point C. Right, like just like a map to go, if I wanted to get from here to Boston, these are the roads I could take. So prelude to conflict involves all the factors that could possibly arise among individuals. So lack of coordination, difference in interests, similarity in terms of cultural, religious, educational background are all sort of relative to an arising conflict, mm -hmm. right? But then, so it's like I bring myself, my perspective, all those things we articulated, and then there happens to be, dun, 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 the triggering event. Yes, okay. Right? So no conflict arises on its own. There has to be some sort of event or interaction that transpires, which goes, boom, that set me off. Goes boom. Yeah, boom is often the triggering event. It's like, sometimes it's a bang. Sometimes it's zing pow. <laughs> right? Yes. Touche. You know, and much of this, it might, it could be, like, I think in the workplace, like, a criticism, right? Like, yeah. you're giving a presentation and somebody criticizes you or... I mean, it could not be a criticism, but it doesn't mean you didn't hear it as a criticism because that's how your brain processed the data. And so right. now you're lit while you're trying to stand up there and sort of give a presentation and not be lit, but you are, but you're not. Right? And so... It's, it's so contextual too. Yeah. It is. It is. There are all sorts of things. And, you know, 
much of what I talk about with patients in the process of therapy is helping them recognize what things got hit in those sort of triggering events. Like, you know, sometimes I describe it like the one broken leg, two broken leg phenomenon. Like somebody could have a background or sort of be wounded because of X, Y, or Z with what they've been through. But then they have round two, the second broken leg. And I don't need to say how much worse the second broken leg is. It's just worse. So it's like if I'm dealing it with this stress or challenge at home and then I go into the workplace and then I feel mistreated in a similar way that I've treated at home, we go boom. Yeah. Right? The the second event or the, you know, the additional events are amplified as a result of sort of like a, it's, it's compound pain, essentially, you know? Very well said. S- similar yes. to the way you compound interest is probably the same as like, you know, well, because I have pain elsewhere that's similar to this, well, this pain is more because I got a lot of pain. I got a pain when I go home. I got a pain when I come to work. And it's just like, do I have pain everywhere? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly enough, there's been some research really around the overlap of physical pain and social pain that like there's part of the way that our brain processes that is similar. So like legit, it it hurts. <laughs> so of yeah. course we're going to be reactive to pain because that's innate in our bodies to help us navigate our world. A lot of this stuff happens, like at least, you know, the prelude and the triggering event can often be silent. Sure. Right, like, you know, you may have, these two events could have already occurred or points to the map if we're using it as a map analogy, and you could have already passed these waypoints with little to no awareness of them. And what happens then is like some sort of like the boom happens and maybe the argument happens or the the slap in the face if it's a, if it's physical, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, if it's verbal, a verbal slap in the face, like sure. you know, not so nice words are said, you know, character assassinations are happening in front of other people. And it's, it's even worse if others observe it too. I mean, right. Yes. Conflict, you know, while in public or in front of other peers can be very bad, very bad. Right. And so really at the heart of this is like, you know, there's energy. So there's emotion involved, right? So there has to be some degree of self-regulation then in navigating the conflict. So, after we've got this triggering event, then we've got like the initiation phase. Like it's the phase when the conflict has begun. (laughs) Like this is what you said, like the heated arguments, verbal disagreements. These are warning alarms that like, all right, like game on. (laughs) Yeah. We're conflicted, right? What this tells me though is that there's, you know, if if you're at – the initiation phase, and, and you sort of see this, this is the visible part of the iceberg, so to speak. Understand that there's more beneath this part of the, the phase and the fact that you've had some other things happening. So like if this is around wisdom and awareness, like if this is what this is about, then understanding that this initiation phase is sort of in the middle of conflict. Mm-hmm. Like if, if conflict is sandwiched by the prelude, the triggering and the initiation is the conflict, and then you got the differentiation and the resolution. Like, this is the meat in the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, you've already got the bread and the lettuce potentially by, beforehand. Beneath you, some ketchup, mustard, etc., and some more bread. You're in the middle, <laughs> right? Right. Which I don't think it, any of us really want to stay there. 
And, no. and this can lead to a lot of other problems, right? Because if I can't continue on in these phases and I'm stuck in this sort of initiation or I feel like it's on repeat, you know, it could be like, I don't want to go back to work or welcome anxiety because I'm trying to not encounter that which I feel threatened by. And yet what I'm threatened by is my job. And yet I need my job because I need to pay my rent or my mortgage. But I mean, round and round we go now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so we got to move on to that, what you said, the differentiation phase where people voice their differences and the reasons for the conflict are raised in that that phase. So, you know, in the workplace, this will look different than, say, between, you know, significant romantic partners, right? To go, I'm going to share a few more details if it's someone with whom I have a really close relationship. But even with work to say, hey, I mean— right? This is sort of culturally where I come from and how I made sense of this. And this is why I followed this map to get where I did and why I responded X, Y, or Z. Or, hey, I was really trying to value or show this that I'm concerned about, wherein the other person would say, well, that's fine and all, but this is where I was coming up from and that's what I value. And these are not the same. Right. Right? Yes. Yes. Can, can we put on repeat, though, what you had mentioned about staying in the middle there? Because I think one important point to drop is that if you kind of put the initiation phase on repeat or maybe even the differentiate, maybe even this phase too, potentially. But if that's on repeat, other things are going to happen as a result of that. Like yeah. You mentioned like not wanting to come to work, but like other conflicts. Sure. So like it's a conflict multiplier. <laughs> the, you know, yeah. this being this, on repeat. Yeah. Initiation. initiation. Phase. Yeah. Like if you never get to the differentiation and the resolution, it's on repeat for you and it's going to multiply conflict in other areas with other people in other places in your life. Right. Well, think about, you know, something that happened at work or, you know, and then you go home or think about the thing that happened at home and then you went to work like everybody else or other things are just collateral damage <laughs> thereafter. Right. Because yes. it's like, whoo, I felt that person coming in hot today. Yeah, you can sometimes see somebody, you know, coming in, as you said, hot, but like you can almost see like they're looking for a fight. Right. You know? Yes. Because they, they want to take it on somebody. Well, and interestingly enough, I I don't think that people are, you know, necessarily reflective all the time around how much they need and desire resolution. That yes. going, if I could sort of resolve this, I could move on. And you know, for a lot of us, like it might not have happened that we had good repair or resolution in relationships. So it's like, I get heated, I get frustrated, I'm not heard. And then that's it. And like, here we go around the mulberry bush, the mulberry mm. bush, like over and over. So from a conditioning perspective, learning wise, I've learned that resolution doesn't occur. So now I get stuck and then I start to sort of become more sort of internal, that intra-personal conflict. Like now the conflict, I'm just hanging out with myself there and everywhere I go, there I am. Mm -hmm. Right? So I bring that conflict wherever I go. Yeah, I, I thrive in life when resolution is possible. And the reason why I say it's possible is because sometimes resolution is not possible. You might have conflict with somebody who's just not willing 
to resolve sure. the conflict. They almost thrive. I, people who thrive in conflict, I try to avoid. It's not that I don't love them or want to like care for them in some way. I just, I compartmentalize them. They have boundaries in my life. Yeah. And, and right. Like we, we referenced this, I think in the other episode on empathy, right. To go, I can only, if somebody isn't willing to sort of see my perspective, like there's a wall and I need to then make changes in that relationship because the the resolution phase is probably not going to occur. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that is two people going, how do we resolve this conflict? Right. I mean, from a legal perspective, isn't that you can go to sort of, oh, what's that called before you even get to arbitration of sorts? Mediation. Yeah. Mediation. Yeah. Right. Like, can I have somebody help us resolve yeah. the conflict because we've gotten to a point that we can't resolve it? Right. right? Somebody who doesn't have a stake in any side of the game, they can see both sides and mm-hmm. in a calm manner with no emotion or lack of emotion in terms of like both sides state the obvious and the facts and potentially some options for resolution and maybe they're limited. Like you've got three options. You you have to choose one of these three options and that's how it works. I don't know about mediation. I'm just totally winging that. I don't know (laughs) if that's exactly how it works, but that's how I imagine it working, right? Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, it said in this conflict resolution, the focus is on the resolution and not the emotion, Right. But I think we've referenced this before, like when I get heated and elevated, you know, I'm more prone from my internal perspective to see things far and narrow as a self-protective sort of measure, as opposed to that panoramic view, which would not. Right. If I'm far and narrow, I there could be a life preserver sitting beside me and I'm going to be like, I'm I'm dying. I can't swim and nothing's going to save me. (laughs) And I'm stuck. But if I can calm down and manage the emotion, then I can see more panoramic and be like, oh, okay, like this person isn't out to really hurt me. They just are a different human being with different background, thoughts, feelings, values, perceptions. And so they get to have as much credibility as I do. What is the goal that I'm trying to achieve? Yeah. Right. Be it in the workplace or at home. Like, where are we trying to get to? Where's our, our North Star? Right. The the resolution phase is like you got options, exploring those options. But a key there, I think, is that the conflict itself is a dead end road. Mm -hmm. Right. It it doesn't go anywhere. Right. The conflict is you don't want to hang out there. It's it's a cul-de-sac. It doesn't go anywhere. Round and round you go. The idea is to establish some communication points and find options not so much in you're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, but, you know, resolve not so much the emotion because there's always going to be emotion. And you may not even be happy with the options given, but mm-hmm. it's about compromise, patience, compromise, and compromise. I don't know the definition of compromise, but I got to imagine it's it's essentially, you know, I'm not exactly happy with the resolve here, but I'm okay with it. Right. That's my layman's version of of compromise. <laughs> right. Well, you got at some really important things though, Adam, in terms of what are some skills relative to conflict management? So we've got active listening. I love this. This is like psychotherapy 101. Like, can you listen and accurately sort of perceive where another person is at? Like, 
this would look like if somebody is crying and really emotionally upset, they would be like, wow, that must make you really sad. Not like, gosh, you must be like ecstatic. You must be so happy. That would not be active listening, right? So like you, (laughs) you can pitch to where someone is at. So active listening, emotional intelligence, patience. You talked about impartiality and this sense of positivity and open communication. I mean, right? Like if I am not open, then I, I mean, very much like a drawbridge, like there's a moat and you're not coming over. See ya. Yeah. There's not going to be a connection or a coming together. There's just going to be, you know, irreparation. Yeah. For a resolution to happen, you need to listen. You need to have some patience. The openness is sort of a a wide and diverse version of that. Like you have to be open to reconnection because sometimes conflict is about remaining disconnected. Mm -hmm. Right. The conflict, you know, goes round and round whenever – and that, that might even be the phase too. The phases of conflict might even be around not so much these as, as simply skills, but uh, options. Like if you're not, if an option to you is not to be open and connected, right. then you're going to keep being in conflict. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to be open to connection again. It's a reconnection event. Right. And so, you know, I love even my miss words, but irreparable. Like that there isn't any repair option available. So it's sort of like there is no solution. Mm -hmm. And that never feels good. Like, because it's sort of like there can't be the connection. And because we're designed to be in relationship and be connected, then it's sort of like, nope, we're just going to hang out on opposite sides of the cliff. And there's this chasm or canyon in between us. And yet I got to work alongside you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah, so much. I think there's going to be different variations of closure mm-hmm. to an event like this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it may not always be the happiest or the most uh, enjoyable version or variation of it. But and that's kind of my question to you is like, what do you do when you can't resolve the conflict? Like if, if, it, if it can't be resolved, maybe back in particular to someone who's not willing to. Like if they thrive in conflict and they prefer to be in phase three, round and round they go in the conflict. Right. Like if you're dealing with that kind of person, you can't really resolve that personal conflict. So there's got to be some sort of closure or resolution, even if there is no closure or resolution. Right. My my favorite word, a favorite question that I offer often with patients is sort of like legit. Like if that's where, you know, this person is sort of while, while they're still doing that and acting that way, like, what are you going to choose to do? Because I'm, I'm only ever always in charge of myself. And so if someone isn't going to participate in the resolution, I mean, that's always idyllic. If two people can hash it out or two groups can work it out. But when that doesn't happen, like, okay, what now? In spite of the way this person is acting or choosing to respond, what are you going to choose? Yeah. Well, it goes back to that show we did, you know, The Power of Your Choice. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll put in the show notes. We highly recommend that. I mean, that's eye-opening to me even to go back and listen to it. Hey, I go back and listen to our shows, by the way. It is good. Like, to understand the power of your choice. Things happen in this world. FOMO happens in this world. Events happen. 
that matter to you that really don't matter to you. You think they matter to you. Right. And you're just sort of in that in that space. Like it really comes back to the choice you make for you, your self-care, your mental health, your personal space, your preferences in life, whatever they might be. Like you've ha- you have to understand the power of your choice for you. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, one little caveat with that is going, you know, sometimes we all have been through things that make it harder for us to see like that we do have choices. So to go, I mean, that might mean, hey, I need to get some additional help or professional help or support, et cetera. But, you know, people want to discount that forced choices are choices, but they are. And so you might be, you know, very much sort of aversive to the constraints within which you're working, but okay, you could still choose something else. It just means that there's consequences to that. And that's not good or bad, right or wrong, but going, if you believe it to suck less or be less upsetting, like there's okay. Like it's your life. And when you participate in, you know, what you have, on a routine basis, it changes how you feel about those things Mm -hmm. because you own like I chose, even though, you know, I didn't prefer it. It was the better of the bad, but I still got to participate in what I'm experiencing. And that is empowering and equipping. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think there's, you know, some resolution skills that we can talk through But before we get there, I want to sort of, I thought this was really interesting when we were sort of discussing the show of going, there's actually styles of conflict management, which is pretty predominant in the world of human resources. And so there's this instrument called the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument. And it identifies five major styles of conflict management. Have you heard of these? No. (laughs) Right? So and, cool, though. That, I mean, it, this is such a multifaceted problem that it's got styles of management, not not resolution, but management. Right. Like, how do you respond to conflict? Because right. and and when we talk about you know name it to tame it, when we're able to have words around dynamics and emotions and phenomenons, we can manage them differently, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the five styles are collaborating, competing avoiding, accommodating, and compromising. Interesting, huh? Yeah. So this collaborating style is this combination of being both assertive and cooperative. So people who collaborate often try to work with others to identify a solution that fully satisfies everyone's concerns, right? This is not like avoidance, but this one is really best when you're looking at the sort of long-term relationship and outcome that are most important. So like this would be like within a workplace, like a collaborative style over sort of like two different departments. I mean, I think about it in the sort of sports realm, right? Of going, you have the owners of teams and then the coaches. And while they're you know, they both want success, the route they get the success and what they're valuing most might differ, maybe, just maybe. And so there could be conflict around how can we collaborate so that our players are healthy and, you know, there's still possibly profit, just maybe. Yeah. 
that's definitely a, a team management scenario for sure. Because I mean, you need to solve the conflict in a way that there's a healthy compromise for everyone, mm-hmm. and that's what collaborating does: is it recognizes everyone's stake in the game, so to speak. To keep going back to the analogy. Yeah. And so you brought in compromise, but the collaborating is like a sort of, I think of it like braiding, like, okay, yours gets to count and yours gets to count. And we're going to figure out how to way to braid these together so that everyone's happy because then that compromising style is, this is just trying to find an expedient, mutually acceptable solution that sort of (laughs) half-heartedly satisfies both parties while maintaining a little bit of assertiveness and cooperation. It's like, meh, sort of like one down. We have but, to go one way. So everybody, can everybody deal with this? Okay, 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 okay. It's like kind of painful to some, but not everyone. Right, and that style is super helpful where time is of the essence. It's like, look, guys, we just got to get a deal done. Like, come on, give me, throw me a bone. You throw me a bone. All right, moving on. Yeah. Right, but the important thing with that compromising style is that really, unfortunately, nobody's ultimately satisfied because neither person got what they want. They're like, you conceded and you conceded and we're moving on. Well, what I like about this, though, and I'm seeing a, a theme here is that for each style, there's a priority. One may be the relationship. One may be the time. One be, may be the lack of the relationship. So it's like if you're going to deal with at a group level, you know, an HR level in this case in particular, like if you're going to deal with conflict, what's the priority? Yeah. Relationships, time, you know, I don't know what else is going to come from here, but that's the two themes I've gotten so far. But like if you right? have an understanding of priority, then you can sort of like pick the style. Cause if you care about the relationship, then collaborating is probably the key one. If you don't right? care about the relationship, maybe the one next competing might be, the one you prioritize, or if time is of the essence, maybe you're going to look for compromising. Right. And so I'm glad you talked about relationship and sort of got at there is a different focus for each style. So the accommodating style is really the one where you're trying to preserve or build the relationship. So this is opposite of competing. There's an element of self-sacrifice when you accommodate to satisfy the other person. It might come across generous, but it could take advantage of the weak and cause resentment, right? Because it's sort mm-hmm. of like, I'm just going to give you what you want, right? Yeah, I really don't care about you, but sure, <laughs> you can have this, fine. Right, but you think you're giving someone. And interestingly enough, I think about, I see this a lot in significant relationships. And like we mentioned at the beginning about sort of lies of omission, like I'm not really going to tell you that that's not really what I wanted, but I'm going to give that to you. But you don't know that I gave you that. So now I'm resentful. And then I'm going to do that over and over for like seven years. And then you're going to come to therapy and then you're going to say therapy doesn't work. But you waited seven years before you did anything about that. <laughs> then- Whoa, hang on now. Hang on now. <laughs> we're getting we're getting some behind the scenes here <laughs> of how therapist feels after seven years of doing these kinds of things for people. And what they see. (laughs) No, the reason I say that is because the research actually says that couples wait on average seven Seven years years. after problems start before they go to therapy. And then they say therapy doesn't work. But that's just it. Like the conflict started so long ago. And part of the challenge, especially with those significant relationships, is it's not all bad. Like it's not that bad. And so you get these sort of rifts. 
and you're like, okay, that stunk, but then there wasn't a resolution. And then that continues to happen. And now you've developed a sort of continuous way of interfacing. So it becomes more gridlock over mm-hmm. that much time. And it doesn't matter if it's just in a in a marriage or significant relationship, but the same thing can happen even in the workplace. Like, look, if you're staying late and doing extra work and you're taking hits for the team all the time because you're like, hey, I'm just trying to get it done. I just want to make sure boss is happy and this is what the boss needs. But you don't tell your team members and then you're ticked because you're there on a Saturday or staying late. That That doesn't help you or your team or the organization. Because it just builds more of that resentment. And you think you're doing it for the benefit of the relationship. Hey, that's that's misalignment of clarity and expectation, right? Going back to that. Yeah. But also what you described was just simply compounding conflict. Like in in a relationship standpoint, if you Mm -hmm. keep smacking your head against the wall over time, you're going to be like, man, that really sucks. I'm never doing it again. And that's essentially what seven years builds up to. Smacking your head against the wall, trying to do something in a relationship, constantly hitting some sort of hurdle, some sort of wall, some sort of stop point. And Mm -hmm. there's pain associated with that. And given enough time and repetition, you will want to stop it forever. Yeah, right? Because it's painful. That's just it. And so, you know, the other style that can be really challenging is – Well, both of these aren't super effective, but competing style or avoiding. And competing is really people who, you know, are assertive and uncooperative. And they're just like, hey, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And I don't really care what it costs you. Right. So these this style of conflict, you know, resolution or conflict management is just I don't care about the relationship. It's such as like I'm just trying to compete with another company for a new client like this just really doesn't work in close relationships because the competition when you compete once somebody leaves getting hurt essentially you got it yeah somebody somebody's walking away with a with a a black eye or something broken bone or slap in the face red cheeks <laughs> so then lastly is this avoiding style and these people who are avoid conflict tend to be both unassertive and uncooperative while they sort of diplomatically sort of sidestep or withdraw from threatening things. So I'm just, it's like the um, procrastination style at its finest, right? Mm. You just avoid, like, you know, what I didn't see it, I didn't hear it, whatever. (laughs) We'll just move on. Well, that's what happens. Just move on then. Okay. (laughs) It's a tough one. That's that's a really tough one because, I mean, I can see kind of two sides of that. So without digging into the super details, but somebody might want to be observant. And so their silence is their observance Mm -hmm. and, or their observation. And, uh, but I suppose if without understanding the timeline, that could be seen as like avoiding, but sometimes, you know, it's not really avoiding. It's just sort of like I'm observing what's happening here. And my silence is seen as avoiding Well, and so with that, I would say, you know, there's caveats around the length of time, right? Sure. So if we're going part of effective conflict management and resolution involves managing myself, maybe I need to step away for 10 minutes, maybe 10 days. That might be a little long. But you know that there is a return to it 
but it can get muddled again if other people are present witnessing the conflict and then i mean then they're not present for any resolution yeah right so yeah. then other people had this but nobody else was privy to it so other people are left with the residual effects of the conflict but they didn't get the repair like the other people or teams it changes it yeah it's just like can we punt this for a bit Everybody yeah. cool can we punt this for a bit okay we'll avoid this for a bit but the conflict is still there it mm-hmm. is still occurring. It has effects, but maybe it's sort of a portion of compromising in the fact that you've all agreed to punt it for a bit. And that is the resolution. Yes. But either way, the resolution isn't occurring today, so therefore the pain continues. Right. So if I swing back over to then what are some of the skills involved with resolving conflict, you know, one of the most significant things you can do is not jump to the defense. Yeah. Like, it's hard. Right. Because you're sort of taking in something that might not fit for you, that might not be where you are coming from. But this is why going back to listening, active listening is so important. So if I really can hear and then clarify, gosh, I mean, this really does feel like a bit of a marital therapy session (laughs) of going, can you repeat back to me what your partner said to you? And then go, did I get that right? Right. What I think I heard you say was... Yes. Yeah. And then that way, it's like, well, kind of right, kind of wrong. What I really was saying was this, and this is where you didn't hear what I said correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's less like you're wrong, I'm right, but it's more like what's what's true. You yeah. Because sometimes you can say something and somebody hears the exact opposite or the wrong thing mm-hmm. or not what you meant at all. And you're like, well, hang on. I, I didn't say that and mean it that way. I can understand how you – heard it that way and I'm sorry but that's not really what I meant and if yep. you can clarify that portion of it it's like well now you got this open dialogue and there's connection and communication so the conflict is being resolved by explaining and clarifying what is true yep and so not too far from that another awesome skill is keeping things in the form of I so use I statements what mm. I thought not you did, you, you, they, but rather like me, you know, I heard it this way. This is what we were thinking, et cetera, because it's ownership, right? And I'm then conveying from my perspective, I'm not misassigning my perspective to you and then saying Mm -hmm. it's you and you're doing that to me. Did you follow that? (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, you have to be willing to. Right. Like we said before, the open communication, you got to be open to reconnection. You have to be willing for resolution to occur. So a skill has got to be like, if you're not willing, then you're still going to be stuck back at the whole, you know, initiation phase of this of this conflict, because in sort of like phase three of it, you're, you're going to be stuck there. Right. If you're not willing to to find an opportunity or a compromise or a chance to collaborate around the problem. Like if you're stuck there, you're stuck mm-hmm. there. Right. And so with that, it's it's like we talked about that panoramic view, prioritizing the resolution of the conflict over being right. Yeah. I think I've said this in other episodes about like, you know, relationship and going, you could be right, but you might be alone. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So going the if I'm prioritizing resolving the conflict. To some degree, I'm also vicariously 
prioritizing relationship. Because I'm saying, hey, we're we're working together. You matter, I matter, and let's find a way. Yeah. Well, Dr. Siegel has that book. What is it? Uh, it's only in audio form, though. It's The Neurobiology of We, which yep. kind of bums me out. It's not in text form because I want to, like, cite it easier <laughs> than, like, scanning a, an audio file, which is fine. But uh, something he'd mentioned was as sort of as part of that book was the key to a thriving mind, which who doesn't want to have a thriving mind, right? A thriving mind has so much opportunity. But he says a key to a thriving mind and a strong sense of well-being, again, who doesn't want to be well-being, is be well, it's, it's a good thing, is to stay open and connected to others and to various parts of our own mind. It's this connection. Connection mm-hmm. is what enables. Disconnection is what disconnects. I mean, right. it seems – so the reason why we're on this subject at large is because, like, connection is key. Connection is important. And right. because – we're a social species. We have to understand the need and the role of others in our lives. Yes. Yeah. And that like we need everybody to do themselves as best they can because everybody's a singular human. And when each person does their role and where they're at at whatever point in time, like we all do better together. I think about it like learning how to dance, right? That rhythms change and music tempo switches. But being able to dance is really figuring out when things slow or music, you know, crescendos or decrescendos and what is my partner's skill and what is my level of comfort that, you know, relationship is that overlapping circle of the you and me. So we both participate in the we, I like your analogy of the music because if you listen to a song and you isolate one single instrument, is it the song? No, right? It is not not the song. Life is an orchestration of many uh, sounds in synergy, in unison, in rhythm, in harmony. And that's what I think is important to understand about conflict is like we are all instruments in this game of life, in this music, this composition of life is probably a better analogy to say like this composition that we're in called life is made up of many not one and so resolutions occur when there's connection opportunities occur when there's connection when there's and it doesn't mean you got to be like in love or love but there's got to be i think a thing of love and respect which doesn't have to be what do you call it like a romantic love yeah thank you romantical love That it can just be simply, I care enough about that person. I respect that person to want well for them. That's what it's really about. So connection is so important. In fact, there's a psychiatrist who I think we've referenced before by the name of Dan Siegel who came up with this sort of theoretical framework about ourselves and others who, you know, wrote this book or, you know, did the audio for the neurobiology of we But he developed this whole theoretical framework that's rooted in science about the brain, and it's called interpersonal neurobiology. And what research has shown is that in developmental psychology, that our neural systems and our minds require relationships involving attention and contingent interactions in order to develop well. Like we've mentioned before, our brains, we are born, born, I love that, born to wired to relate to others. 
And like I said before, social neuroscience studies shown the, our neural circuitry responses for both physical pain and social pain overlap. And so the idea of having a person, a human, like a comforting relational presence can actually decrease physical sensation of pain on self-report as well as in brain activity. This is so important as we try to figure out how to work well with other people because if we can start by looking at the lens within ourselves and go, how do I manage my own mind? What can I do as an individual in my own relationship and in my own organization to help create and maintain healthy minds to facilitate health sort of in the microcosm of my world and even broader? And so this is where and why this can be so, so valuable because leadership can look at how can we use mindset, this awareness of what Siegel calls openness, objectivity, and observation as critical components to being able to be aware of myself and another person so that I can integrate my own internal state and then use that to influence the states in others. Because if we are connected, how I feel affects you and how you feel affects me. And when I am cognizant of that and have the skills to manage the crescendo and decrescendo of my own affect, I bring a better person to each and every one of my relationships, whether it's in the workplace or at home. And ultimately, that's our hope, that we would learn how to human better in everything we do. All right, that's it for this week here on Brain Science. Thank you so much for tuning in. I mentioned it on the show. Conflict happens. It should be on a t-shirt and I would totally wear it. So share your thoughts on this episode at changelaw.com slash brain science slash 28. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're new and you haven't subscribed yet, check us out at changelaw.com slash brain science. You can subscribe there. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Overcast. You can go anywhere you can get podcasts. And huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode for getting our back. Also, huge thanks to our Beatsmaster in residence, Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks again for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week. Bye.